Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Primal Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, and anti-aging supplement, available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, L. Russ. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast today. I have one of my favorite guests, Dr. Gary E. Forsman from middlepathmedicine.com, who is also the doctor on um, our, our book, The Paleothyroid Solution, for anyone interested in that. But today, instead of talking about thyroid, we are going to talk all about boobies and breasts and breast health and everything having to do uh, with that. Welcome to the show. It's great to be with you, Elle, as you know. Thank you so much. So let's talk about breast health. Um you know, so so misunderstood. I'm not sure I know uh, a lot about it myself, even though I have a set. <laughs> uh, so so yeah, let's let's start off there because this is something you know we see the pink ribbons everywhere, and I think cancer is just such an overlooming dark cloud over our breasts. And so let's talk about breast health and what we can do about it. Where do we start? Right. It's to me this is such an important subject because the there's this you know, this dichotomy that exists between what a breast actually is versus how society sees breasts. And it's true, of course, since especially in a male-dominated medical world, we have guys primarily looking at breasts the way guys look at breasts, which is, you know, <laughs> I, I do it too, um, which we love them. Um, and so, and unfortunately, Let's let this this high, highly sexualized version of the breast versus the actuality of the breast. And honestly, in society and in medicine, that's where the problem comes because in medicine, we always look at things as diseases waiting to happen and, and we're able to project that out onto the world. So today's woman, woman often views her breasts either from a dysfunctional standpoint, from a health or dysfunctionally from a sexuality standpoint. And like, like they're time bombs almost th- is what you're saying. There are ticking yeah. time bombs that are sagging down to their knees, you know, and what could be worse <laughs> than that, you know? <laughs> Seriously, Nothing I mean, it's worse than that. <laughs> You know, but it's, you know, first of all, and the sexualized nature of it, there is a, a mythology perpetrated by guys, by the way, that the, the breasts are pretty much there for their role in sexual attraction. And that's not why a breast became part of the society. Was it uh, um, Desmond Morris who wrote The Human Ape, I believe it was? Uh, the, the And so Desmond Morris kind of part brought this up where he made it sound like, you know, these, the evolutionary aspect of the breast was entirely for the, the good of the man, you know, that you, you basically, a, the human being created this breast. And it's interesting because we know from the mammary gland, which all mammals have, it's what we're named for. Um, the breast is very unique to this human species in terms of the whole package that is the breast, right? Uh, and so this development is it because of its attraction to men? Because there's no question they've shown on all kinds of studies that if you have a, a picture of a woman in front of the guy and you're watching their eyes, it takes about a few milliseconds for the guy's 
eyes to go directly to the breasts. Okay, um, sure. and so I think every woman has experienced that in, in real life. Yeah. Absolutely, you know, and so and we're not even trying to make that wrong per se, because but there is this deep inner drive. And most of us, and again, as you know, I'm a heterosexual male. I don't know if this happens to the, this actually has been shown that heterosexual or homosexual, there's an attraction to the breast. Okay. And so, but, but there's something deep inside, probably down to your medulla oblongata is a guy that says, wow, curvy. I like that. Okay. And so because of that picture, and why is this important? Because of this deep thing within, especially a male oriented medical profession, we've actually highly sexualized breasts as well. And that's that's why most women go to a doctor about their breasts for one of two reasons, really, to get new ones put in or to find for, look for breast cancer, you know? So, so the, and as you well know, society has made it such that the breasts are supposed to look a certain way. And in the, the model industry, the porn industry, all these things are making the idea of what a breast is supposed to look like some idealized thing that it really almost always can't be. And women are striving to reach an ideal that they can't and often doing surgeries that they really are. The surgeries from today are just so common and so, you know, and as you know, it's spreading from breast implants to butt implants implants to everything else in the world. Calf implants. I mean, how serious are we getting? Yeah. <laughs> There's so much pressure on the American woman. And, and I know more about the American woman than, than, uh, than the rest of the world, but it's true in Europe as well, etc. to look a certain way that the, the breasts are often viewed from the, as you know, from the time of self-awareness, um, as being dysfunctional. It, the, my, you know, my nipples aren't pretty enough. My breasts aren't pretty enough. And there's so much pressure on you guys. I feel so sad for you um, because there's so many, the models on TV are often implanted. Most of them are. Um, and this idealized breast that you're supposed to obtain, you almost can't have. So subsequently speaking, um, your breast self-image is taking such a hit. And I think more so now in the social media industry than ever. So this developing a new healthy relationship with the breasts is I think the first and most important thing to realize that guys love breasts of all shapes, sizes. We love all nipples of all shapes, sizes and areola, etc. The idea that this mythical breast has to be a certain way. And by the way, there's lots of studies on this in terms of, um, you know, what you'd think men would be attracted to and or women, whoever, as terms of what you think of as a breast. And it turns out that the variety is the wonderful part of things like so many aspects. Right. Some guys like small boobs or some guys like really, like it's just all, they're all good, I think. According That's to the all whole guys. thing is they are all good and they don't have have to all be double D's and all these other crazy things. And so it's the variety and the, the, the beauty of them. And because, you know, often most surgeries will lose some of the sensation to the nipple and subsequently speaking, the erotic part of the, the breast of being lost, the image overtakes the sexuality, which is even further bizarre, you know, even though there's more and more surgical techniques that spare some of the sensation to the nipple. So the, the first step in understanding breast health is to understand how pathological we've become in terms of even looking at our breasts in terms of their image, their imagery. And, and the thing that you're talking about, most of the times when you see the pink ribbons, it's about breast cancer awareness, as if women don't have enough awareness at all. And I'm going to go off on a little bit of a rant right now. Please. This, this breast cancer awareness, this pink ribbon stuff, every woman is already aware of breast cancer being up, uh, out there. So why is it so common? It's because we're diseasifying women. We're making them more afraid 
so that we'll send more money to the drug companies that already have too much money to promote treatments for cancer that cannot even possibly work. Every dollar that's donated to the foundation is a dollar against breast cancer awareness, breast cancer health, breast breast health. It is a fight against the nature of, of, of humanity as far as I'm concerned. And people fall for it because they think it's the right thing to do. They think it's politically correct to donate to the Susan Komen Foundation when they're really working strongly against the health of the breast. Okay, um, and I'll just I'll just give you a recent example. I, there was a, a thing where YoPlay is teaming up with with uh, you know the Susan Komen Foundation. YoPlay is one of your greatest causes of breast cancer in the world. Okay, right. The sugar, the carbs, the dairy. Sugar. There's there's you know the dairy they use is horrible, and a plastic container. There's two forms of artificial sweetener. So here we have a supposedly intelligent group of doctors. And, and uh, the foundation itself teaming with a cause of breast cancer to have breast cancer awareness, you know, and, and this has been everywhere in society. It was, you same, know, the same goes for the type two diabetes and the, and the food pyramid, right? It's like when I, and I put it in the book where, you know, the doctor in Hawaii had the Pacific diabetes education program poster up, but that poster was suggesting six to 11 servings of grains a day and four pieces of fruit, which is totally pro diabetic. So it's like, they're encouraging the thing of which it's such a hypocritical disaster. Same same here. Exactly. The American Heart Association teamed with Diet Coke. Diet Coke. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. As a cause of insulin resistance, which is one of the leading causes of heart disease for women. So the American Heart Disease Association does it. And shouldn't they be intelligent enough to not to? Yes. And here we have supposedly a group that's trying to help women who are actually fighting them tooth and nail. And women are if. Yeah, you know, falling in for it. Um, and it's understandable because we've everybody, I mean, some of the most try I could go break into tears right now. Just thinking of some of the women that I've tried to help through breast cancer who haven't survived. I, if there's anybody in the world who from, from, cause as you know, I do treat from an integrative oncology standpoint, um, that I see so many women with breast cancer and it's such a tough disease to treat sometimes. Um, I'm much more into the prevention of breast cancer than I am the t- treatment, which I think it should be its entire different podcast, L, um, if we want to do it ever. I don't know if there's any interest in that, but... Um, right, you mean let's talk about first the prevention today, but we'll talk about maybe the... Treatment, uh, diagnosis and treatment some other time, because I, d- I want to avoid the, you know, the concept that the breasts just become diseased, okay? Well, because let's talk, it- let's start over and talk about that then. So it, we've seen the other paradigm of how we're looking at it in a disease state or time bombs waiting to go off or, or any other things from childhood to your boobs aren't big enough to, you know, comparing to other women or whatever that is. What is um, what are the ways we should look at this? I mean, I can probably think of a few, but I'd love to hear your opinion. What are some of the thoughts we can get generated in people who are healthy and have healthy breasts right now and to move forward? Correct. And I, again, my first step is for most women is to, to re- rethink their their view of the world and from a standpoint of all the glamour magazines and all the other things can i look at these things without feeling bad about myself american capitalism is based upon making women feel bad about themselves so this this self-imagery the first thing i'd ask a woman to do is please become healthy with all aspects of your body but the breasts are such an important aspect to just want 
Am I looking at shows and or magazines and or social media that makes me have an idealized version of something that I can't have, feeling bad about myself? Therefore, because this is the main, actually from, you know me, Elle, this is my main concern is how we view ourselves will translate into taking activities that if we don't feel good about ourselves, we tend to do a lot of things that aren't good for ourselves. Okay. And so the first step is to become, have a healthy imagery, support any, any form of Planned Parenthood, uh, support, this is a very important thing, breastfeeding in public because the number one role of the breast is to breastfeed, you know, that's its number one purpose is to be, is, and to promote breastfeeding anywhere because it's the most natural thing for a breast to do, no matter how uncomfortable guys feel for it or some gals too, uh, they feel uncomfortable for some reason with this and become comfortable with the idea if you have children to breastfeed as long as you are comfortable with. As you know, there's so many recommendations from six months to four years and anywhere in between, but breastfeed your children when you have them. It is such an important part of the connection, the reason for a breast, and even though it does change it's uh, how the breast appears, it's such an important thing to become comfortable with. And so, but if we're really talking prevention, and this is important, everybody, Western medicine focuses on, on early detection, not prevention. Prevention isn't about mammograms or MRIs or ultrasounds or those types of things. That's its own conversation. Prevention is about what things can I identify that I can identify early in life and then treat them so that I can be well and therefore my breasts are well. So the this understanding of the breasts, see the, the actual breasts on top of the mammary gland, so with this development of this beautiful, wonderful breast that we are so in love with, um, that those breasts are unique to, to the human species. And the best understanding of, of a breast right now, it is the true canary in the coal mine. It is, it is your body's early warning system about toxicity in the environment. As we know, there's so much fat tissue in the breast. They're so endocrine, um, their endocrine responsiveness means they're hormonally sensitive to estrogens and progesterones and thyroid and all these other things that when your breasts to be healthy, and that includes fibrocystic breasts, dense breasts, all these things. When we hear that there's, you know, there's so many problems with today's breasts, it's because they are your early warning system for toxicity in the environment. I really do think the reason that we have such a high rate of uh, developing breast cancer is because of all the plastics in our environment, all the different forms of xenoestrogens. There's so many studies out there right now that show that if you live in the city, higher light exposure, and especially during youth, meaning if you're living in the city where the lights are, you know, never go go out. Um, if you live closer to a major um, um, uh, highway or street, all these factors, whether it's pollution or light pollution, are huge risk factors for breast cancer. Okay. And, 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 and more so than even other cancers, which of course they are. So this, the, the early thing that we talk about is that about... Let me, let me interrupt you for a second. What is course. it about the nature of the actual breasts 
that make them like, for example, we don't hear things like, "Ooh, women are suffering from shoulder cancer rapidly." <laughs> you know, like it's not like a rampant <laughs> elbow cancer problem, right? There, there's a breast cancer. Right. So, what is it about the breasts that make you know cancer cells or more likely to? Do you know where I'm getting at here? No, it's a great question because it's this unique juxtaposition of of suspensory ligaments. Okay, the ligaments that hold up the breast, combined with the fatty tissue next to the endocrinely responsive tissue, you have a unique organ. There really should be breastologists, okay? Um, most guys are going to say, I'd sign up for that. I was going to say, I know. Um, if you, no. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the thing. It's, you know, it, and it, there's no reason not to have fun with this too, by the way, as long as we understand what is fun and what is the reality of the breast. But really, it is a, a unique little organ system. We have cardiologists. We have, you know, actually, there's orthopedists who support who uh, specialize in surgery of the shoulder, right? We have shoulderologists, if you will. Um, So we don't have many breastologists. The only docs that focus on breasts really focus on breast cancer treatment, meaning surgery. Nothing to do with the health of breasts is how do I cut it off? Or if how do I cut off as little as I can Either way, I'm cutting some of that thing out, you know? And so so this unique little organ called the breast, okay, is has um, a unique arrangement of fatty tissue, suspensory ligaments, uh, fibrous tissue, and of course the glandular tissue that is the mammary gland. Um, and it seems to be uniquely sensitive to all the toxins of our world. Okay, um, so this development that occurred probably because of improvements allowing a woman to breastfeed and do other things. The reason the breast came out in the position that it is. If you look at most dogs, for instance, they have the, the the nipples are right attached to the body. You don't have these big breasts coming out. So why does the human being have this breast? And the answer is basically to help with breastfeeding. Um, and it developed evolutionary that way. And then, of course, over the last hundred years especially, the toxic soup that is our world affects the breast more than probably any other organ system. It is the most chemically sensitive structure in your body. It is the most radiation sensitive thing, um, sensitive structure of your body. So it's this unique, wonderful instrument of dispensing life to a baby. Okay, So gosh, we should honor that. However, in a today's toxic world, it is the most sensitive to the toxic insults. Okay. So that's. And getting back to like a evolutionary to feed children purpose, uh, I just want to make a note. I want to interview Dr. Dan on our podcast, who's um, an oral surgeon. He talked about how the breast, the shape of it, et cetera, when it's in a child's mouth, helps form the actual jaw. That there's a purpose to that versus actually feeding from a bottle with the way the breast gets into the mouth of the baby and the way that it lays helps formulate the actual roof of the mouth, which I find very fascinating too, which just goes back to your argument on if you can, please breastfeed. Right. That's an important part of the process. The, the shape of the human mouth, you know, definitely, and I'm talking about the baby's mouth out there, guys, um, <laughs> helps <laughs> the evolution of the breast. It's, he's completely right. Um, and, and you know, so it's the breast is there for, for, for cycling infants. That's its purpose. And, and I, the, and I do think the co-evolutionary thing, eventually guys figured out that women with these that these breasts definitely seem to be the most fertile and that took off in the, the whole sexuality side of the breasts, which again, we still, still should honor the nature of the breast. 
all these things, because there's so many arguments too, are breasts, uh, excuse me, are bras healthy for a breast? Well, they certainly keep them up. They keep them perkier, but are they healthy for the breast, the wiring and everything else? And the answer from most studies is either neutral or they're bad for the breast. Okay. So the, a lot of our garments, the tight constrictive things that we do to support breast health might help their appearance, but not necessarily help their health. Okay. And this is a, an interesting thing is the nature of the breast. And I'm sure you're aware of this as we go through menopause, which on average is about age 50 in our society, um, and that the breast will lose some of the hormonal signals, will lose breast tissue and will turn to fat. Fatty, fatty breasts will, will be not as perky and they will hang lower. That is the nature of the breast. And that's the thing, unfortunately, so many women are having to fight because of the sexuality associated with the young perky breast versus the older breast turning to fat because it's the natural history of the breast. And so... Um, and so then, would you but, suggest that a woman, let's say, for example, who has really large breasts and might need more of that supportive type of serious bra, right. um, would that be something where it would be like, hey, when you're at home and not in public, try either not to wear it or wear a shirt or something that might be form-fitting that could support them Absolutely. a bit while you're walking around versus wearing the bra at home? Or, I mean, what are some... Because for people that have smaller breasts, like, I can... I mean, I don't want to walk around without a bra because that would be uncomfortable. But I don't also have triple Ds where, you know, I've got to do it or else it's a problem. You want, want to wear something that has some support so you don't feel uncomfortable, okay? And But not the underwiring and all these other things we're doing to the breast for obviously the, the more highly sexualized reasons. Right, like so not super tight. And what's up with the wiring? Is that just the the force of the pressure against that? There seems to be something about the the pressure against that leads to some chronic inflammation, and chronic inflammation is one of our one of our causes of cancer. Got it. So that's the reason behind why these bras can be detrimental is the tightness and the inflammation it can cause. Because most women will say if they wear a more a tighter breast or the push up things, it is uncomfortable after a while, and that discomfort is a sign of of inflammation. And again, and one you know wearing them occasionally, of course for events and whatever else, no big deal, but this is a lifetime exposure thing. Right. So, um, so it's very important to understand that the, everything we think about in terms of the breast has been more towards pushing it towards the highly sexualized things, which might, again, I'm not even trying to call that wrong, but unfortunately it's not good for women's breast health. Of course, all the implants, all the surgeries, you know, and I'm not trying to damnify anybody who's gone through the surgeries because I'm not the one going through the pressures to do to put the the breast implants in. It's just I wish we could find a world where the woman felt well enough about themselves that they are comfortable with their own breasts and don't get these operations done. Um, it's such a perpetration on on you guys. Um, the the media is forcing it. and many women, most women will say I'm getting these implants done for myself, but they're not really. The image society is telling them to feel a certain way about things and and they think they're making their own choice and they're maybe not doing it for any specific guy in their life, which is great because nobody wants anybody getting surgery because some guy tells you to. Um, but, but, but the idea that we're doing it independently is not exactly true, you know? And so, and that's such an important thing. I know, cause we're, of course we're going to switch to diet and all these other things soon, but the, the first step 
for for a woman is to realize, am I doing this for the health of my humanity, my personhood, um, or am I doing this for, am I doing something for this other imagery of the breast versus the health of the breast? Most of the times you guys are being forced societally, image-wise, to doing things that aren't healthy for your breast. And that's kind of unfortunate because eventually you'll figure out, you know, outside of superficial guys and gals for that matter, that, that breasts are wonderful just the way they are. Yeah, I want to talk about that. I want to just mention, I want to highlight something. So like, for example, I was just thinking, um, I kind of sometimes, well, not anymore, but used to be sort of in a neutral state about my breasts, meaning not really overly thinking about them, not actually loving them or appreciating them anyway, more of just like, oh, here's this kind of random uh, skin tag nuisance I have to jimmy up into a bra and, right? So I was just thinking on that note too, even if someone out there is listening and they're not necessarily thinking one way or the other, it still might behoove every woman out there to put some love on it. Like there's times where I literally hold my breasts in both my hands and, and, and you know, like, it's like, oh, I'm so grateful for my, you know, just, it, it, I think gratitude and appreciation uh, for your breasts and taking the time to do that as a woman can be such a great affirmation process probably in the future health of one's breasts. So even if you're just like not even thinking about it at all, it might behoove everyone to start to think about it, start to embrace it. Absolutely. Embrace themselves as they are and so and their own native beauty and, and surround yourselves who with those people who love you for who you are, no matter what the breast size or anything else. And that then you'll have more authentic relationships and not just have guys around who are ogling you for double D's. There's so many studies on this, by the way, in terms of send the same woman into a bar with uh, and and one the if you just start increasing cup size, their amount of contacts increase exponentially. The exact same woman goes into a bar with her normal size A or Bs. If you just stuff and increase the the cup size, it goes their number of contacts will contacts during the night will go four five fold higher. <laughs> with with so, each with each size, there's like more with, with each cup size. Seriously, and so so is there any question that guys look at boobs? Of course not, um, and so um, and you will get more attention for them, but it's not going to be really the attention I think you're looking for, and so um, unless you're looking for just that attention, nothing wrong with that. However, but from a self-image standpoint, then we can see how easily it's reinforced that, wow, I need to do more. I need bigger breasts because guys will notice these things more. That's not a way to live a life, obviously. Is it the current reality? Yes. Um, but the but breasts are wonderful in and of themselves of all shapes and sizes. And, the, and this comes from a guy who, who loves breasts as well, um, but of all shapes and sizes. Uh, you know. And so, so in that order, the main thing that is... And in the end, that's most uh, comfortable a, a woman is how comfortable she is being herself. Um, and then those breasts, it doesn't even matter what size her the the confidence she has in just being a healthy sexual woman is so much more important than the size of her fun bags. <laughs> nice, glad you. I was going to throw that out there, but I'm glad you did. Yeah, <laughs> um, it, it just is, you know. Uh, We're going to get into a discussion here about health and prevention and all the things we can do as women to, you know, uh, increase the health of our breasts and our, our future with them. But I want to talk about what well, you, you actually were uh, the person who helped me fix my breast issue. So I want to just kind of bring that up because I know that's going to be a part of the health discussion. So right. a lot of women I talk to after I tell them this say, oh my gosh, I have that too, which is I used to have 
painful, lumpy breasts before each period, fibrocystic breasts is what it was. And they'd be these like little nodules and lumps, lumps in my breasts and they'd be painful to the touch. And, you know, my breasts would get sore and kind of bloated and inflamed before my period. And I just thought like, okay, this is part of either getting older or part of just the hormonal process. And then um, it was sort of an accident in a way that that got cleared up because you and I, you were helping me deal with some inflammation and we um, did systemic enzyme therapy. And I noticed after 30 days of taking the enzymes that my fibrocystic breasts were gone and have not returned since. It's been almost a year. Um, and I've gone through regular cycles each month with not one problem. Now, before this was fixed, I would go get a mammogram and they would say, you know, your breasts are too dense. We have to go do an ultrasound, which, you know, never sounds, it's a little scary when you're a woman. You're like, what? No, I don't, you know, like what? It, it just is kind of freaky. And then I would go get the ultrasound and thankfully everything was okay. But I remember even in those moments fearing, like, are these things, you know, potentially going to cause breast cancer? Either way, my life is so great because not only is the PMS better, but my breasts feel wonderful and like it was very painful and uncomfortable. And that was also kind of a sign of or, or is a sign of estrogen dominance. So that's gone from my life and my breast health, like in the way that I feel every month is amazing. So there's a lot of women out there I know that have fibrocystic breasts. Can you tell me like, what is it? how do we get there? And then obviously it was fixed. You, you fixed my boobs. Right. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, and, and so can we talk a little bit about that? Cause I think that's a common thing with a lot of women I talk to. Right. Well, this goes into the, how I like to see you treat people, not diseases. We treat people, not hearts, not livers, not breasts. We treated you, right? The goal of going on the treatment for the inflammation um, was to help your body not just to help your breasts, which of course the, and if you notice the, and what you went through, if you don't mind me using an example, it is so typical. Women will have some inch symptoms of the breast. So what do they do? They see a breast specialist. Well, now you've just screwed everything up, okay? Because you went to somebody who wants to see your breasts every bit as much as a disease as society telling you your breasts are. So you see the breast specialist. They do a mammogram. By the way, mammograms at younger ages unequivocally don't work and or cause breast cancer, which is its own subject, like I said. Um, and then you do the the mammogram says you have dense breasts. Now you've been put into a category. Oh no, she's got dense breasts, which means breasts, by the way. Um, and so it means you don't have as much fat in there as a ratio. Um, and even though women with dense breasts do down the road have a higher risk of breast cancer, that's a lot to do with the diseasification model, which is uh, we, if you look at it as a problem, the more tests that you do, dense breast means more breast tissue. So we're going to radiate it more. Okay. And what's the most radiation sensitive organ in the body? The breasts. So let's keep radiating them every year. Oh, no, it's abnormal. Let's do it in six months. So eventually we will, as doctors, you went to the breast specialist, you'll end up with, say, you know, 20 mammograms, 10 ultrasounds, three biopsies until finally we found that breast cancer that we knew was going to develop. And it was entirely because you went to see the breast specialist to begin with. Okay. You disease, you, not you personally necessarily, Elle, but the, the person diseasifies their breast. And here's the beauty of it. From a medical model, we spend the most money, we cause the most harm, we create the most disease, and you think you're getting the best form of medicine because you saw a specialist who did the most brutality to you. 
Well, and something you said on the last time we talked was that like uh, Western medicine is the leading cause, of, the top three leading cause of death the, in the of death country. in our society. So I went to say, hey, I think I'm having a problem here. Let's go to the, one of the three leading causes of death. Um, let me go see this doctor. And it's like, wow, what, that's a fundamentally flawed problem. And then blame the doctor because their system of is what is creating this problem. And so, um, so of course, there's a time and a place to to see breast specialists, but it's a very rare occurrence, okay? So when you have this issue, remember I said the breast of the canary in the coal mine, huh, I'm having some inflammation in my breast. It's your early warning detection system. So now, even though your breasts are hurting, you say, wow, this is just another sign of imbalance in my body. Thank you, breasts, okay? And nobody wants anybody to be in pain. I, You know I know that, right? And so... Um, it says there's some sort of imbalance. Of course, we focus on hormones, but again, it could be something for most women, it's their diet, okay? So so they have these fibrocystic breasts, they have these... Which is excess fibrinogen test, right? Is that, that was the test that sort of... The excess fibrinogen, the lipoprotein little a... Uh, so fibrinogen, CRP, those things. Also, there's studies looking at the MTHFR genes, which you would well, people have had as well, um, the MTHFR genes looking at folic acid metabolism. And we, we look at, and by the way, that's an important thing from a detoxification standpoint. Your breast might be, the reason a woman might have fibrocystic problems might be inflammation and insulin resistance. That might be poor detoxification. It might be excess toxicants. Sorry, um, those are the xenoestrogens and the plastics and the flame retardants and all the things so ubiquitous in our population that are horrible for breasts. They're horrible for all of you, but they're just worse for breasts. Right. So it's really time when you get some breast signals like this, it's time to really consider detoxification and some other tests. Yeah. Boom. Okay. So detoxification is so important. And the reason your breasts are healthier is because you took a, a systemic approach to them, not just, gosh, let's see, I'm going to find a breast uh, supplement and just take uh, turmeric because somebody says it's okay or diendol methane. Right. Dim. Yeah. I think that's like the first one you hear that everyone says, oh, you have a problem, take that. But that's not really treating root causes of that, right? That's my thing, Elle. Thank you so much for being my straight person. Um, the, you know, because when many got doctors go into integrative medicine, I used to joke with people since I was a doctor used to giving medicines that supplements were my gateway drug to healing. <laughs> um, <laughs> that because, are. you know, so... And the brief step, many people still see integrative medicine that way. Instead of ignoring your problem and taking a drug, they want to ignore their problem and take a supplement, you know. And I guess that's a step in the right direction, but man, it's not close to where we want to go. It's really back to this lifestyle medicine, which all doctors have been taught doesn't work because most people don't stick with these changes until everybody does. And then, ha, lifestyle medicine will work, right? So the main problem is to, as a doctor, I look for, as you know, I look for as many markers of wellness as, that we can, as well as the things that put you at higher risk of, of, of disease as well. And so we want to treat all of those things. And then, as you notice, that over a course of time, you didn't necessarily need enzymes because you just got well, and then hopefully you won't need the intervention, okay? So it's not that we didn't give you a supplement, in this case, systemic, systemic enzymes, one known as Vitalzyme. Uh, for those of you who don't know out there in the world, there's two class of enzymes that we give people in integrative medicine. Digestive enzymes with meals that helps digest your food. There's, those are very good supplements as well, by the way. Um, and so, But that's one class of, of enzymes. And then there's systemic enzymes, which is a whole class 
similar enzymes that you take between meals to get absorbed into the body to quote unquote digest you end quote um, and so and what that means is <laughs> well and I, I let yeah can you explain that well the systemic enzymes well aside from inflammation sorry to interrupt so I, I just I guess when I had read about them because see it was sort of a accidental effect that my fibrocystic breast went away. I might not have even told you that in our meeting, but yet then later I was like, oh my God, here's a wonderful benefit that happened from the systemic enzymes. And when I read about it, it was almost like the systemic enzymes go through the blood and they're like cleaners and they kind of like scrape out. And the excess fibrin I had in my blood kind of makes it thick and sticky. Can you just talk about like that element there and how the systemic enzymes, you know, attack and helped and how it cleared my breast? You want to try to find markers because you know, because if you make, like, for instance, my favorite systemic en um, enzyme is this one called Vitalzyme. The professional version is called Vitalzyme XE. You just don't have to take as many capsules. And they are expensive. That's their biggest negative. Um, is, is if you made Vitalzyme, you'd want the whole world to be on, on enzymes because you can sell to more people. What I try to do is figure out who might get the most benefit. And you can primarily look at the test known as fibrinogen. By the way, if you ever get a fibrinogen test, the level should be less than 350. Most labs say up to 450 is normal. Um, and I think mine were 500. Yeah, yours are, yours are pretty high. And so if you don't mind bringing that up. Well, they're down now, but they were very high. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they they should be less than one. So, and those are the two simplest ones. As you well know, there's many, there's probably hundreds of markers of inflammation these days. But those are the two simplest ones that have the most research. Most doctors don't focus on them because the way you treat them is naturally, there's no drug you want to give for these things, okay? Um, but it is part of the reason. That's why the population out there should understand. Low-dose aspirin therapy has been shown in these subsets of populations to prevent heart attacks and to prevent breast cancer, okay? Because it, as many forms of cancer are an inflammatory disease, I'm not telling everybody out there to go on low-dose aspirin, as you well know. But you can make an argument if these things didn't correct that you that from a breast health standpoint, low dose aspirin might be a good thing, especially if you're over 50, especially if you have these markers. Okay. And so but going into what we want to find, which is number one, you had already cleaned up your diet. That wasn't you know, the issue. I think you got even better about certain things and tuned into your body. I think that was part of it as well. Um, and so yeah, and you know, and and look at these, because here's the epidemiology of breast breast health is that, and remember, this is a thing, when we focus on breast health, we will help prevent breast cancer. So the idea is to bring our attention to just how you said so beautifully about being sending loving kindness to our breasts. So even if we did a self-breast exam, if we did it in a loving, caring way versus a the fear way. So if a woman is out there doing a self-breast exam and she's like injecting fear into her breast and she's so afraid of it, I'd actually tell her not to do it. But if you can do a monthly self-breast check where you check in on the whole spokes of the wheel and just go through the whole breast exam, which I'm assuming most women have been told how to do, and just but send some loving kindness to your breast, then yes, we can check and see how our unique fingerprint of our breast feel because every breast is lumpy and bumpy. It shouldn't be fear. Careful to you. It's like, ah, oh, this is my normal lumpy, bumpy breast. I love my lumpy, bumpy breast, okay? But own, no one in the world can know my lumpy, bumpies better than me, okay? And so, um, and so, because that should be true, of course, okay? And you're the one responsible for that. But again, and it doesn't just have to be during the self breast exam, you can be sending loving kindness to yourself during the 
this time. And do I have any scientific proof that that prevents breast cancer? Of course I don't. However, I know that it would. Okay. And so, and then doing that just with awareness with without a, a exam is also a wonderful thing. Um, but becoming self-aware is such an important part of healing, right? Um, being independent of the vagaries of the, the marketing worlds and everything else is such an empowering thing. And it's very much like what we were just talking about, whether it's inflammation or things. We want to treat the whole human being. The, your, the improvement in your breast health was a side effect of being well. Okay. And that's when, and yes, the, the breasts are one of those things that I don't actually, I don't remember if you told me beforehand, but it might've been one of those things where your breasts have bothered you so long. You didn't bring it up because familiarity breeds contempt, right? Uh, that's exactly but, what, that's exactly what it is. And I want to tell everyone right now, I had dealt with those fibrocystic breasts for several years and literally they were gone within 30 days. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I, I can't even speak more highly about the systemic enzymes and, and of course the other things I was extremely religious about and, and and the other supplements, there were some other factors, yeah. I want to make sure you hear this well. The reason they work so well on you is because you took care of other things as well as doing the systemic enzymes. Because most people will just say, ah, I need to take enzymes to heck with diet, to heck with this, to heck with that, and take the enzymes, and they won't get nearly the results that you did. No, you're going to have the two steps forward, five step backwards, right? You know, you can take the supplement, but then if you're eating crap over here, well, let's talk, I mean, obviously, paleo, primal, low-carb living, of course, that's we both agree that's the cleanest way, but Absolutely. Let's get into some of the other things aside from parabens and horrible chemicals and plastics and things that are pretty obvious to most people who look into the breast cancer scenario or breast health. What else? Because we talked about the YoPlay yogurt. And so can you talk about some of the elements like if women want their breasts to be the healthiest as possible, what do you recommend in terms of diet and lifestyle? Well, let, well let's make sure we also just... And- and I agree with the things you just said, of course, Al, but that's, if you look at the most proven diet, there was the study on the Mediterranean diet, unlimited fat diet. So the first things I want to cover is, and I know everybody out there should know that, fats are health, healthy fats are healthy for the breast. Unhealthy fats like hydrogenated oils are, of course, unhealthy for your breast. I know everybody in our, our audience should know these things by now, but there is still a lot of mythology out there that fats are bad for breasts. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but they mainly go into looking at studies where unlimited that the higher fat intakes associated with the the highly processed meats and all those other things we're trying to get people away from probably aren't good for your breasts or any other part of your body, of course, and lead to inflammation. So, um, so the the most proven diet is called the Mediterranean diet, unlimited fat. Um, the studies on grains are pretty equivocal. Some studies with grains, by the way, I'm talking about grains, not greens, actually show some improvements in breast cancer. They are completely limited to the fiber intake. And as we well know, healthy fiber through our vegetables is going to mitigate any quote-unquote benefits that you get from from um, uh, fiber in our grains. So can you cut grains out healthily? Of course you can. But be aware if you're making an argument that grains have been proven so unhealthy for the breast, that actually isn't quite true. Um, there's some studies showing that people who have more whole grains actually have less breast cancer. That's probable, and that was completely limited to the, if you've corrected for fiber content, the, the people with the lowest fiber diets tend to have higher rates of colon and breast cancer. So, and that's that's all it's a marker for. And if you go out and nobody, as you and I both know, nobody's telling you to go paleo and and just be a 
carnivore. Okay, uh, we've talked about this before, L. I mean, one percent of people can be healthy vegans, but maybe one percent of people can be healthy carnivores. It's about getting lots of healthy fruits and vegetables as our source of all kinds of nutrients. Because are the fruits and vegetables good because of all the carotenoids? So that's another thing that's been shown. All the different alpha carotene, beta carotene, all the things you think are for your eye, like lutein and astaxanthin and zeaxanthin, all these wonderful carotenoids you find in a mixed variety of vegetables. Okay, so so please, everybody, one of the most important things you can do is eat your veggies. Okay, <laughs> um, as well as your healthy fruits, as well and berries. Um, so. So dietarily speaking, what's healthy for you as a human being, of course, is healthy for your breast. But right into what you're talking about, the toxins in our environment, please, ladies, go out there. And any skincare product, any, anything you put on your skin is more dangerous for your breast probably than what you're eating. Okay, so And the, all the, the phthalates, the parabens, the, the fragrances. Again, there's so much uh, problems with fragrance in the environment in terms of what we're using. So get a good I think uh, I use this one called Think Dirty, Shop Clean, um, but there's many apps out there where you can scan barcodes and see, is this a healthy thing to be putting on my skin? And for heaven's sakes, because... Because remember, when you eat something, you have your stomach acid protecting you, your digestive enzymes protecting you, and your liver protecting you. When you put on something on your toenails, for heaven's sakes, on your fingernails, on anywhere else, it goes bypasses all those things. And the greatest storage place is probably going to be your breast. That's why your breasts are a canary in the coal mine. So when you get toxins in the environment, primarily from the toxic soup we live in, okay, that's why an organic lifestyle, not just organic foods, man, I, you know this. I have people who do organic diet, but they smoke cigarettes. By the way, that's another thing. Cigarettes are a risk factor for breast cancer as well. It's just not as highly popularized, okay? Um, but so, but anyways, and or they're using, you know, some... Uh, nail polish that has so many chemicals in it that they're bypassing the most important thing, which is to have an organic lifestyle, not just organic veggies. Okay. So there's... I need to rethink uh, my nail polish. Sorry, I, we're talking. But, you know, no, no, no. I mean, you're, right. Mi- you're right. Again, we're missing that. Is that you know there are we have to be very careful about what we're putting in our body because the world itself is so toxic. Okay, you know there it was like the the you know they found um, Roundup in vaccines for our kids. I don't know if you know that um, because of. Oh, yeah, weed killer. killer. There's is weed killer in your kids' oh. vaccines today. Okay, so um, there and and it makes sense. We've got to do a podcast yeah, because, on that. Because <laughs> well, we should do, definitely do some things on vaccines. But, you know, but the animals that are fed Roundup-ready uh, corn, um, we use the, 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 their ligaments to make the media where we grow the viruses, which gets into your vaccines. So you just think about it go, oh, wow, I never thought there might be. And again, unless you tested for this, this was an independent, um, I think it was, I'm trying to remember which group asked this independent lab to look for. It. And sure enough, especially the MMR, okay, has high levels of Roundup in it. Okay, now how is this relevant to my breast? You're, you, there's Roundup everywhere, and Roundup is ta- as an endocrine disruptor. I, I know, I know you know this, Al, but I mean there are so many endocrine disruptors out there um, that you sometimes can't control because they're everywhere in the environment. And by the way, everybody, plastics, all plastics. If it touches your food, don't put a plastic on it. BPA is a tip of the iceberg. It's a, most of the env- environmental scientists will tell you that you know BPA might be the worst of all plastics but pretty much every plastic is going to have a xenoestrogen effect. A xenoestrogen is an estrogen that is chemically synthesized different than your natural estrogens that has 
endocrine-disrupting properties. It'll stimulate one estrogen receptor higher than the other estrogen receptors. Hormone receptor sensitivities is another subject you could, go, you could spend an hour on. Um, that would really bore your... your, uh, your <laughs> Sorry, sorry, your <laughs> listeners. But but I want to be clear about that. Estrogen, can we do? Uh, uh, you know me. I'm going off on a rant, but just give me a, another minute. Well, no, no. But plastics. Let's let's talk about plastics because we were always told like don't microwave or cook anything or, or microwave anything in plastic. But you're saying don't even like what put uh, stored food in plastic. Get plastic out of the world. I mean, again, I think we all know that we need to go back to using some glass containers and things if we're going to store food. And, and we could do so many things to get plastics out of our life. Um, and so uh, it's and it, that's so important for the environment. Uh, many people don't know that. Bee BPA originally was came it was right but there's a um, to prevent miscarriage, we used to give uh, women DES. It's called diethylsilbesterol. It's to prevent miscarriage. That was the thought that it was going to do that. And of course, we all know about the horror that DES. The first drug that was going to be used was called BPA. Okay, um, so BPA was a well-known xenoestrogen for whatever it's been eighty years, I think, or something like that. And said, "Wow, it's, it's causing all these problems and birth defects and things. We can't use it to, as the drug we wanted. Um, let's put it in." And it does. It does help with the the plastic and its plasticity, if you will. Um, and so now we have this huge world filled with a 80 years of a toxic xenoestrogen. And of course, we're seeing that play out in terms of the rest, primarily first in terms of breast cancer. So yes, BPA is bad. I'm not saying different, but all plastics have a similar capacity. Just BPA is the worst of the worst. You know, it's uh, just like is whole grain better than white bread? And I go, gosh, white bread actually probably is worse for you. But, you know, you're comparing yourself to the worst possible compare, uh, thing to compare to. So, um, but. So, so even if it's, uh, I've got like a Tupperware that says BPA free, still don't bring your lunch to work in it and get a get a glass or ceramic container to transport your food in or something like that is That's what exactly you're what we should be doing and so and this goes on from as early in life as possible because these chemicals are affecting in utero our infant our babies okay and from your breast milk i mean there's a you know some people are arguing that there's so many toxins in the world that we should stop breastfeeding because there's so many toxins coming out of the breast into the breast milk and into our babies what a sad way to look at the world World, right. Well, and also a wake-up call, right? If you are planning on becoming pregnant and breastfeeding, yeah, detox yourself first. Maybe get get yourself into shape if you can. You can just by doing a two-week detox dramatically decrease the amount of toxins, including these phthalates and parabens and all these other things coming into the breast milk just with a two-week detox. Okay, so of course, if you just change back to everything else, all the levels will go back up again, of course, of all these, you know, xenoestrogenic um, endocrine disruptors, if you will. Um, so, because that's a thing. Too many women out there are afraid of their hormones. You got to wonder how a system that's been set up for, you know, known all of human, well, all genetic history um, of estrogen receptors in our breast and progesterone receptors in the breast. Somehow we've been sold that estrogen and progesterone cause breast cancer. Okay, and the answer is they don't. Done in healthy balance, in an unhealthy balance, there are risk factors, primarily these xenoestrogens, because you know the classic risk factor for breast cancer is early menarche. Sorry, uh, uh, developing your period early. Okay, have ending your period late, meaning late menopause. Okay. Um, fewer pregnancies, all these things are classic risk factors for breast cancer, right? And they're supposed to be signs of higher 
estrogen exposure. No, there's signs of pathological estrogenation relative to progesterone. And, you know, and it's, it's interesting because most of the times when you do a breast cancer biopsy, you look for the estrogen and progesterone receptor positivity. And if the receptor is there, women go, aha, estrogen caused it. There's supposed to be estrogen receptors on the breast tissue. As a matter of fact, if they're gone, that's a poor prognostic indicator, a sign that the breast cancer is more aggressive. Um, so estrogens, Okay, xenoestrogen in our environment, imbalanced estrogen to progesterone in our in our body definitely is a risk factor for, for breast cancer, but that's due to environmental influences almost first and foremost beyond anything else. Okay. Um, and and to understand the differences between estrogen receptors and progesterone receptors and how healthily to balance those, including into menopause. Okay. Hormone replacement therapy for women would be another great subject because it can be a wonderful thing and breast cancer preventing um, uh, in the future if it's done right. Breast cancer causing if you and let's use if you, hopefully the guy everybody out there doesn't mind for the Premarin and Provera controversy was when doctors gave hormone replacement therapy to women in menopause. Okay, they couldn't patent the natural estrogens and progesterones you made, so the so the pharmaceutical industry primarily using the doctors as its pawns um, got said, hey, let's use pregnant mirror urine. That sounds great, and we had Premarin, so we had a woefully imbalanced form of estrogens that we gave to. To women and it worked from a standpoint of relieving symptoms. Be very clear about that. If you had hot flushes and night sweats, Premarin rocks, by the way. Premarin is great for preventing hot flushes and night sweats and menopause. And we use a synthetic progesterone, um, progesterone called a progestin called Prevera or medroxyprogesterone is its actual drug name. And, and here's the, the sickening details of this is that natural progesterone at the level of the breast helps prevent breast cancer. Synthetic progestin known as Prevera causes breast cancer. Natural progesterone opens up coronary arteries. Synthetic progestin constricts coronary arteries. I could go on and on about this. So basically bioidentical hormone replacement is the only way to do it if you're going to do it. If you're going to do it. But still today, doctors and the press, you know, actually I read a book called The Breasts, A Natural and Unnatural History not too long ago. And the reason I can't recommend it is this, the, unfortunately, the journalist who wrote it made many good points. Okay. Um, unfortunately, she completely biffed the, the hormone part of it and doesn't understand anything about hormones, but she's a journalist. She's not supposed to, but it really screwed her book up. Um, and so, so I really want to emphasize natural progesterone is breast cancer saving, okay, preventing, treating even, okay. And the right forms of estrogens, one known as estriol, for instance, stimulates estrogen receptor beta. I'm sorry, people, but I'm a doctor. I do this stuff. And, and actually can treat breast cancer. So there are forms of estrogens that not only prevent, but treat breast cancer. I want to make sure you wrap your heads around that. No, that's a good one because a lot of people, again, like you said, think that estrogen is the cause, it is the problem, and it's not. It's the form and it's the way in which it's used. The imbalances and all these other things. And this goes down to the breast as an organ system. It's a complex organ system. It's a beautiful, like I said, I think it's been misrepresented and so highly sexualized, even in medicine, okay, that it hasn't gotten the proper attention as a as a, a wonderful endocrine organ that is so so beautiful. And I'm talking about beautiful um, uh, on the inside from the inside, not just looking beautiful. Um, and so, uh, 
this is the this amazing aspect of medicine. The, the more you learn about things, you go, wow, I respect breasts more than ever just from their understanding of how they evolved and how they developed and all these other things. Unfortunately, and here's and when I say unfortunately, they could actually be women's best markers of this toxicity that guys don't have. As you know, Mel, I've talked about women um, – have so many complexities that allow you to be healthier in this world than men can be because uh, because you have early warning systems like breasts because you have detoxification systems like periods as inconvenient as you might think these things are they are they make you superior to us on all, all kinds of levels okay talking about guys um, and so the key is to tuning into them and not fall into the diseaseification okay meaning thinking of everything as pathology I have a tender breast oops I got to go see a breast specialist and start having a mammogram and ultrasound and cut them out it's like oh this is a sign of toxicity. My breasts are unhealthy. I need to do a detox program. I need to look at my environment. I need to change my diet. That's what your breasts are asking you for, not for a mammogram. Okay. Um, and uh, right. And so to and to and on that note. So um, aside from the things we've talked about, let's talk about what what would be your. Obviously, everyone's an individual. Everyone has individual meds and things they're on. But as a basic. Um, path, what what can we as women who are looking to say, all right, look, I've got some tender breasts and aside from getting fibrinogen activity, you know, test or looking at these other markers or even considering systemic enzymes, what is a good two week kind of detox weekend? You know, because there's so many different detox programs. Some people say, oh, I drink green drinks, green drinks for two weeks. And there's, you know, then there's powders and there's some products and there's detox systems out there. So what is, is there something you suggest for everyone as an overall something to look into that, you know, we can just sort of try and do ourselves to, to get on the right path? Again, back, and this will be, uh, you know, for anybody, whenever a doctor answers that question, they're going to have some biases. So, you know, the most studied, the one I like the most comes from a, me- uh, a, a, um, a group called Metagenics, and they have a, a pro- program called Clear Change, which I think is a very good um food-oriented and supplement-oriented detox program that has been shown to be very helpful in some of their their clinical trials. And so I like the Clear Change program. Be very clear. I like any form of detox. Um, I've done most all of them from Panchakarma and, you know, Indian, the Chopra Center to a whole lot of other things. So trust me, the this is one area that since the beginning of time, you should probably be aware of this, is that in Ayurvedic medicine, they talk about doshas. Dosha just means impurity. It basically means if you're in the physical form, you're getting toxic. Okay, so it's been known since the beginning of time that that if you're in a human be, human body, you're going to be toxic long before they even understood what toxicants were. And so, so this idea that was to do a seasonal detox, which means you know we don't have seasons in California, so <laughs> say maybe three times a year or something like that, where for at least a couple of weeks, you would do something where you would completely clear your diet. So currently, what I do is about a paleo vegan diet. The reason I do that isn't because meat's bad for me. I do this because I'm trying to shift my metabolic energy towards digesting meat, not digesting food, which we all know that takes more energy to digest meats and things, which is what we're meant to do. Um, So I just do something like that for a week or two, depending on on my time frame and all kinds of other factors. Really make sure I'm doing as good with water consumption as I possibly can, okay? And of course, stress and of course, all, fortunately, I don't use many skincare products and all these other things. So, you know, make sure my environment is as healthy as it possibly can. Do something to support detoxification through my liver, through my colon. That's where the clear change comes in. 
I used to have a far infrared sauna, which is a great thing to incorporate into a detox program, and of course exercise and and. Folks, overall, of course, you know, as we talk about with primal lifestyle, um, it's not just the diet, it's the exercise. And healthy exercise unequivocally prevents breast cancer, okay? It treats breast cancer at earlier stages too, by the way. So, you know, most, most of the times if you had a stage one or two breast cancer, what would work better, going on the drug known as tamoxifen or exercising? The answer is unequivocally exercising. <laughs> really? And tell us, I mean, obviously I could probably guess, but what is it about exercise that would be that treatment? What, what is it about exercise that helps that? It does so many things. That's the interesting thing. Everybody thinks it's some anti-inflammatory effect to answer your question directly, but nobody knows for sure. We can, it's tough to figure out how it does seem to downregulate the gene expressions associated with more extra, uh, um, more aggressive cancers. There are markers, uh, folks out there, um, for more aggressive cancers, one called KIT67 and a few others that downregulate with exercise. And we don't exactly know why, but they are markers of more aggressive cancers, which obviously we don't want. And so, but exercise in and of itself has been shown to help treat breast cancer, but it's probably one of our most important exercise preventers. And honestly, the, the, I think, you know, I, I chose the, the primal blueprint that lifestyle more than all the other uh, paleo type recommendations because it did incorporate this is healthy forms of exercise and this is a way to do things and the problems with overexercise and, you know, people trying to become marathoners and, you know, all these things that are so toxic for our body. Sorry for the marathon listeners out there. No, but um, it is. It can be very, very inflammatory and also, like I said, releasing horrible hormones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nobody's arguing it's impressivity. Uh, it's just not healthy. And so, uh, no one's impressed and, by a gravestone. <laughs> no, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so on that order, you know, the, we go into, you know, this, the, this overall marker. So you may be exercising more. We'll do as much for fibrinogen. The question kind of goes into as a job as a doctor is to, you know, all the things we talked about for thyroid. So like, for instance, thyroid peroxidase antibodies, high levels of inflammation increases your risk of breast cancer. So right. should everybody be screened the way we talked about for thyroid? Yes. Should they be, and, and many of the similar things in there, iron stores, too much is more of a risk factor for breast cancer, by the way, too little is a problem for thyroid. So just the right amount of iron. Okay. It's just like everything else in your body. Iron doesn't cause uh, breast cancer, but if you have too much, it's associated with it, um, which is unusual for women because you got periods and things. Um, and so, uh, so we go through that and we look at all these inflammation markers and we look at the genetic markers like the MTHFR genes, and there'll be more down the road, I promise you. But Glectin-3 is another inflammation marker. The hemoglobin A1C, the insulin, you need your doctor doing a comprehensive review and looking at how healthy your numbers really are. Vitamin D, good heavens, how did I forget that? Vitamin D could be the single most important thing we could do, okay? So, and it's tough to get enough exposure. So, is my vitamin D level between 70 and 90, which long-term is the most healthy thing, it might be the single greatest, most important, you know, marker to make sure you won't develop breast cancer because um, vitamin D is a steroid hormone that is important for immune system regulation. And if it's low, there are so many studies, it could be the single greatest breast cancer risk factor out there to have a, and, and people, I want to emphasize this. When doctors study low D, they think anything over 30 is considered optimal. So when they say high D might have no benefit over lower Ds, it's because it's, they're comparing pathetically low to low. <laughs> And 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 so there. So in the studies that say it doesn't make a difference, they're wrong um, uh, because there's no good levels at looking at 
adequate levels of D, which is the 70 to 90 range, okay? Um, and so, so vitamin D, selenium for the thyroid. Selenium might be the second most important um, breast cancer preventing agent around because of its role in the ox antioxidant system, uh, heavy metal detoxification. Uh, anybody out there, let's go into to dental health. It's interesting, the European doctors who treat breast cancer, the first thing they'll tell you when you get diagnosed with breast cancer is get your root canals removed. They think it's that root canals are the single greatest cause of breast cancer. I don't think that's proven, but it does bring us to a point of treating the whole body. Um, you know, So this goes into our dental health. Right. Mercury fillings also are related to thyroid, and that's also what people are told as well, to get rid of those to help out with their thyroid issue. People out there, please go to a holistic dentist. You can Google this, and there's an American Holistic Dental Association. Look for somebody who understands these things that, no, mercury doesn't belong in the body, okay? No, we don't put dead tissue, leave dead tissue in the body. A root canal is dead tissue, folks. So the dentists are the only people who think that leaving dead tissue in the human body is a great idea. Um, and that's what a root canal is, is a dead piece of tissue. Um, so let's let set something in there because 100% of root canals are chronically infected. And guess what that leads to? Chronic inflammation. And by the way, the people who look into oral health and meridians say, hey, any root canal is like a short circuit in your, your electrical system. That might be true as well. There's a, there's a ton of reasons not to do these things, by the way, but, but please look at your oral health. Um, so, and yes, uh, clearing up oral health might make a bigger difference in your systemic inflammation than changing your diet. And that could be even like incorporating flossing. I know that sounds stupid, but it really is because at the end of the day, you know, even if we talk about uh, Chinese medicine, you know, there's a reason they look into your mouth the first thing <laughs> that they do, right? And they always say the state of your... Up in your tongue, yes. Right, the state of the health of your mouth is, is related to your body. And, and this is also why, right, when you you go in and let's say you've had a heart problem, the doctor, the dentist might treat you with antibiotics first because if they're doing dental work, they, they don't want it to affect you systemically. So there's obviously that connection. So even if it's just, hey, you know, you, you brush your teeth twice a day, but maybe you, you need to floss. I mean, just step it up. Right. I, see, I agree. And that's, that's again, you know, and you go, darn, flossing might more make more difference for my breast health than taking, you know, turmeric or something that you heard was good or green tea. And I'm not against those things, obviously, but the idea is, in general, if you have an imbalance in your body, it's asking you for something, you know? Um, and so... Uh, and let's get to the vitamin D. When you mentioned that, I'm so glad you impressed upon that. But, you know, years ago, before I even met you, I had read something that, you know, was something like at the almost everybody with like a high percentage of people who have gotten breast cancer are deficient in vitamin D. There is a correlation that's been known on that for a very long time. So, And why it's not more popular is just because, once again, we do have a system of medicine that seems to promote disease in the, in the guise of trying to prevent it, okay? So whether it's the Heart Association pushing Diet Coke, whether it's the whoever these breast people, the pink people are um, promoting Yoplait, um, it's subliminally behind behind all those things. It's like the National Osteoporosis Foundation promoting standard dairy, right? They, they still do that. And, you know, where the number, you know, I'm just trying to put this out there as a, such a, an obvious situation where the, um, our current organizations are, seem to be 
active disease promoters, so uh, mainly because it's good for business. And I'm not being conspiracy about it at all. If you just look at their actions, that's what they're doing, and you have to recognize it. And seriously, it ties right into everybody supposedly getting um, the flu vaccine, right? 25 micrograms of mercury um, uh, injected every year from basically the, rec- the CDC, if you go on their site right now. Okay, are you serious? The flu shot that everyone's getting at the local pharmacy has mercury in it? Oh, yes. it's uh, the and, and talk about conspiracies. There's a, about 200 articles proving that mercury, A, this is beautiful, doesn't even do what it's supposed to. It's not, it doesn't even preserve the vaccine from the contamination and from infection. So A, it doesn't work. B, it's a toxin of orders of magnitude. And we continue, and they want us to inject it in our every year from infancy on, from six months on. And, and, and so that's the next level of things. And then when you look at the Cochrane database studies, we put the uh, flu vaccine series of articles on our website, uh, the Middle Path Medicine website, um, and documenting it doesn't prevent the complications. Uh, it goes on and on about what flu vaccines don't do. And here we are injecting 25 micrograms of mercury every time to from infancy on. And gosh, I wonder what the effects of injecting that much of a toxic metal, heavy metal into our body would do over a lifetime. Let's go see because, and why do we do this? Well, Tamarisol is still- Well, let's, let me talk, stop you on the flu shot. So uh, here's the thing. Like I've always been like, I always was suspect. <laughs> I was very suspect of that. And I will say this, this is so anecdotal because obviously I don't <clears throat> have statistics, but <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, everyone that I know who goes and gets the flu shot ends up getting sick several times a year. And I almost never get sick. I got sick once in the past like 20 years, pretty much. And it was, uh, I got laryngitis. But other than that, I mean, I think, you know, my immune system, I, it's just so improved via probiotics and, and having gut health together. And also, of course I do. I wash my hands a lot if I'm in the public and I'm, you know, at the grocery store. I seem to get less sick than most people I know, and everyone that I know that gets the flu shot, they still end up getting the flu at some point. So I'm I, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. The flu is actually will help prevent the overall number of flu cases in the society. It does help prevent flu, by the way. It does increase your increase your rate of other respiratory illnesses because it's an immunosuppressant. So that's why they're getting colds and stuff. They may not get the flu. Got it. They're usually not getting flus because it actually does help decrease the amount of flus at to a certain degree of percentage. It depends on how well the vaccine matches the tri- the flu that year. And there's a whole lot of variables that go into that. But here's the deal. Something that hasn't proven to com- prevent complicated flu, which it has not been proven to do in any of the trials over the last 20 years or so, um, shows, and here we are, injecting, again, Probably, I don't know how much uh, Roundup is in the vaccine either, um, but we, we know we're injecting aluminum, and that's, let's go into it. Aluminum from, from, uh, um, from uh, the standard antiperspirant that we're putting on topically definitely causes pathological changes associated with early breast cancer. So aluminum antiperspirants that women have been putting out causes breast cancer. I have no question about it. But, but let's take it one step further. Let's take all these vaccinations with aluminum as an adjuvant. Many people don't, aren't aware of the vaccinations are drugs. They're loaded with many things beyond a killed virus or an inactivated virus. So we're injecting all these known chemicals in there, including thimerosal, which is the mercury preservative that doesn't even work, has proven in hundreds of trials to be toxic and dangerous, by the way. Um, And we keep doing it. By the way, the reason thimerosal stays in there is because it's cheap and the uh, pharmaceutical industry has a higher profit margin for each shot. So it stays in there because the CDC is a spokesperson 
spokesperson, spokesgroup for the pharmaceutical industry. And again, this is going to sound somewhat political, but I think we have an understanding now. We, we have, whether you call it a plutocracy or corporatocracy, our, our governmental agencies are the same things as big business. You can tell that from CDC recommendations, telling, telling people to do things against their health because the, and, and under the guise of protecting you, which is the sickest thing. Um, and so, so we follow these recommendations. And I still want it to be a free world, all. If people want to get vaccinations, they should be able to get them, okay? But most of our vaccinations have to be rethought. And, and part of the reason this is so important is I do not know, and this is the important thing, do I know how much of an effect all the aluminum adjuvants that we're injecting into our kids from infancy on, how much of a risk it's going to cause for the, the, the main breasts, breast, once again, the canary in the coal mine, the breast is going to be the most sensitive to these kinds of, of toxins in, our, in us. And of course, we'll be able to find through um, genomic trials who's the, who does the worst with these things. It goes way beyond autism spectrum disorder, et cetera. It's pretty much uh, autoimmune disease, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is this a part of this upsurge in terms of the younger, more aggressive breast cancers we're seeing and all these other things? Um, and so I got to emphasize as far as that the toxic world includes things like flu shots, okay? Because you're mainlining the stuff now. It's beyond just I was going to say, I might as well just go to the like, you know, the hardware store and get some <laughs> round right. up and mainline. Beyond aluminum in your antiperspirant, we're injecting it directly into you, okay? And it's going to go to the most the the fattiest organs which tend to be your brain and and in women's case of course breasts. Um and so on that order, that's where why we're seeing so many issues with that. And all these things come in with basically almost no proven long-term benefits. Now, once again, when I say that, remember what we said about flu vaccines. Flu vaccines do decrease the rate of flu in the society. That is true, by the way. Um, actually, just that one strain of flu that you're getting, and well, of course, there's several, but whatever circulating that year. Um, and so, but it, at the cost of getting more illnesses, you know, they, um, and this goes all, also into our children, uh, all the studies, you know, that look at uh, rates of immunization in our children. And if you can linearly correlate infant mortality with more vaccinations, the countries with less vaccinations to their children, lower infant, infant mortality, us with higher, higher, and this is in, in, um, uh, populations that are, uh, westernized. Um, and you can really correlate these things because they actually have immunosuppressant effects against the other organisms. That's the key thing is we have to look at the bigger picture. So when we're looking at the, the breast, the breast is this wonderful organ system, Mel, and it should be revered really. And we really should have breastologists, if you will, um, who study it from a breast health perspective. And I'm talking about some uh, a group that would study this as an, end, an endocrine specialty, if you will, um, like a thyroid specialist, you know, would study it from a standpoint of how to make it healthy, not, not, not the breast specialist to just go out to try to do studies and try to cut into your breasts, okay? Okay, so let me, let me stop you there. So aside from, I mean, obviously there's so many factors, detox, vitamin D levels, you know, all sorts of other factors involved in health, selenium. Let's, I, I want to go back to this damn stupid yo play and breast cancer. So let's talk about dairy. So here's the thing, like, 
I really want you to impart the wisdom about dairy and the dangers of it because it is so, I mean, I know so many women and people who still have, it's almost like the person who cannot give up the oatmeal because they're so indoctrinated to believe that the oatmeal is going to help with the cholesterol and the, because it's really just the fiber, right? But that's their, that's their view. And I, the same goes for dairy. People feel like, well, I've got to have a little dairy in my life, right? Like I should have at least one yogurt every day. And I'm kind of like, nah. (laughs) You know what I mean? So can you talk about that? Well, it goes into, because especially like, you know, for instance, the the osteoporosis mythology, you know, which when I say the mythology, osteoporosis exists, of course, but, you know, the number one per capita dairy country in the world, dairy consumption is, is of course, us, the United States. Um, Number one calcium uh, consumer, that would be us again. Number one in osteoporosis, you guessed it, it would be us. So, So what is the answer to osteoporosis? Must be more dairy and more calcium, which is, of course, completely against the science. The nurse's health study showed that for each glass of milk more a woman drank, each stepwise, and it was worse with each step, meaning from one to two to three glasses of milk a day, the higher the risk of hip fracture. Okay, so it's unequivocal that dairy in our diet does not help our bone health. Okay, it's it's a known fact. Okay, but still, of course, there's tie-ins with the National Osteoporosis Foundation, which is the main group that's funding this. I want to make sure that's this promotion of ideas that don't work, okay? So the first mythology you have to get over is that milk does a body good, okay, which is a TV advertisement and part of the food pyramid, right? Okay, so there's two mythologies. Milk does a body good, TV advertisement, brilliantly done, by the way. They really help milk sales. Um, but not true, of course, because advertising isn't supposed to be true. It's supposed to be selling a, an idea, right? Um, and so uh, and so, I don't blame the National Dairy Council for getting a brilliant advertising group. Um, but more importantly, the food pyramid, which of course everybody knows is, is based upon marketing for, you know, for, to, for sales and nothing to do with nutrition. So there's this mythology that people grew up with, and it's tough for people to let go of their mythologies, right? And so, so that they needed dairy, because that's the thing. There's nothing about dairy inherently. And, and you and I both know, and so this goes with the primal crowd versus the standard paleo crowd. If you look at Ayurvedic medicine, one of the perfect foods is called ghee, okay? Um, and, and that was in a time where everything was organic and grass-fed and all the other things. So clarified butter, I think, is probably one of the more perfect foods to incorporate into your diet, even though it's dairy people. And I know we didn't used to run down animals and suck from their nipples. Um, but, but, but that's the key. Is it organic? Is it grass-fed? Is it raw? And that could be a perfect food if you're not sensitive already, because dairy sensitivity is one of the most common things that I see when I test for food sensitivities. So there's a lot of people who are dairy sensitive and they just need to cut out for it. And it's a good thing if you're ever detoxing to cut out for a few weeks and introduce slowly and make sure your body body doesn't yammer at you from some symptom to tell you, oops, because that's one of the best uh, parts of doing detox is on the other side of it, introduce the foods you took out that you had suspicions you might have problem with. Dairy is a common one, that, and whether it's your sinuses, your joints, not feeling well, dairy will talk to your body, even the good kind sometimes. It yells at my body. See, there you and go. No, yeah, it does. And, and the thing is that I'm not technically allergic per se or didn't show up on a food sensitivity test, but the moment I have it, it's, I can sense the stuffiness, but I was only able to really sense what was causing it after I completely eliminated and did the reintroduction, you know? And then it's so uncomfortable, you don't, you don't keep going there. You, know? you have to eliminate for at least a couple of weeks, you know, as you know, from the whole 30 group, or I tell people when they start a paleo diet, do it for at least 21 days. Um, 
but you have to eliminate things that you might think you're sensitive to. And by the way, if you eat ice cream every day, you have an ice cream problem. So, or a cheese problem or a dairy problem. Yeah, and I did have that problem. <laughs> yeah. So, and then you reintroduce it because we don't want to necessarily make it inherently wrong because that's hopefully the when we get past you know paleo and primal as a belief system we want it to be practical for people who knows there's somebody out there who might do better in their life with oatmeal it's just not inherently right to eat it um and who knows there might be one person same thing goes with the dairy thing it's a much greater chance that it could be good for you if you again do organic grass-fed raw preferably um but Definitely, it's a wise thing to eliminate for a while, again, two to four weeks, and reintroduce and listen to yourself. Do I run better? Do I run the same? Do I run worse? You'll be surprised how many people are sensitive to dairy. But that's the whole thing is that there's a whole group out there promoting something that inherently isn't that great for you. As you know, ghee is clarified butter and all the potential toxins are taken out of it. So we go into, we don't want to inherently say dairy is bad or good. Okay. We say it's potentially good, but potentially negative as well. Um, And so, and because everybody else as well saying, well, if I can't have dairy, what else should I have put in its place? And that's such a silly question because you never need it to begin with. So if you can't eat it, you don't need to do anything, right? That's why people do almond milk and soy milk and all these other milks, right? Nobody ever needed milk, period, okay? Um, and so, or, or I want to put out this example. There's someone I know who ha- had to eliminate dairy based on some lot of an inflammation. Hashimoto's antibodies just needed to clean out. They were eating yogurt every single day. <laughs> and um, then they asked, they're like, well, could I go get like a coconut yogurt or a non-dairy yogurt? And my comment was, well, you can do that. That might be better than eating the actual dairy part. However, you're still probably eating a, a Coca-Cola's worth of sugar in that whatever replacement. So again, even though it's something that may be non-dairy, you still have to look at the sugars and the other chemicals and sweeteners and things in that because you might be replacing one for another piece of garbage. That's one of the reasons yeah. I like the whole 30 people. I'm blocking on their names, but you know, it's... Yeah, no, they're the, great. Um, when, Melissa Hartwig yeah, and Dallas Hartwig. Exactly. You know, one of the first things when you look on this, it's not about finding the latest, greatest paleo Pop-Tart, you know, it's about not eating Pop-Tarts, right? You know, and so I, I loved it when they put it to people that way because so many people are trying to just substitute while well, I can't live without when whenever they're saying it's not about eating paleo oatmeal or because obviously that doesn't really exist or I bet somebody else there is trying to create something like it um, it's about not eating oatmeal it's about not e- doing these things and and of course focusing on what to do in its place which of course in your book and everything else you've done such a great job of um, but but you, what you're you're pointing out is that yes dairy is such a common food sensitivity that the only way to really beyond the testing I agree with you L is to everybody I think at some point should do a few weeks without reintroduce and check in with their own body and if they ever get into a state where they recognize, even if they say two years ago did this, thought they were fine, if they're in a habit of eating it almost every day, you should detox from it again and make sure you're okay. Because it's so easy to develop a sensitivity in a toxic world with leaky guts and all these other things. This goes into our digestive health. You know, There's so many reasons you can develop a sensitivity to something that you eat on a regular basis unless your GI tract is perfectly healthy, which again is its own subject. That's another talk we should do, by the way. Um, yeah, well, I was going to say we should probably wrap it up here. It's been uh, – I, but I want to – we'll do a part two on breast health where we'll get into the test and we'll get into the mammogram aspect of it. And then, yeah, I think we should do a vaccination conversation as well. Right. So I have some questions about that. Sure. I, 
Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Anything else, at least in the next last just couple minutes here, that you can relay to people that you haven't now or a thought or an idea about breast health um, to close this podcast out with? Good. Um, let's see. So as you know, I'm very much foundations of health, okay, which is how to be healthy is the number one start with the healthy whole food diet healthy exercise program. Stress management, I still think, is the number one thing. And the stress management for the women in the breast health, I think it's the breast imagery that is, really needs to be re, re-taught because the I cannot emphasize enough, all your female listeners learn to love your breasts as much as the guys do. Um, but for what they are, not for this image of what the perfect breast is supposed to be like, um, it's, it's so taken aback. And so really look at that side of things and see if you can really do what Elle was telling you to do, which is really just kind of love your breasts as they are for what they are without needing to do anything to them. Um, then get a, and a whole, again, an integrative medicine doctor to test you for everything you possibly can from D's and homocysteines and the, the genes that were talked about. Make sure there isn't anything going on that, that your doctor can help you with you nutritionally and supplementarily, et cetera, that adds on to that. That's how you really do breast health because you're doing you health. You're focusing on you as a person, not you as breasts. And so, and please clean up everything like we talked about and listen to the rest of the things we did. But uh, that's how to have breast health, okay? Well, hopefully next time we can talk about breast cancer diagnosis and treatment because, but today I think, you know, El, when we started off talking, I really want to talk about how to have healthy breasts, which is a completely different conversation than just saying, gosh, how do I prevent cancer? Right, absolutely. And also for anyone, you know, I really... I'm glad you're talking about getting a good integrative physician or functional medicine doctor like yourself because, you know, you can, and to everyone out there, I went to doctors once a year to get my physical and they tested everything and they're like, lipid panel's great, everything looks good, doing well. And then you tested everything and I was a mess. Well, but I was, and then I fixed so many things. So I absolutely believe in the in-depth testing. If you want the best health possible, you've got to treat the whole you. And that's not going to happen in 15 minutes with an HMO doctor. So you got to step up and go above and beyond. And for anyone that's interested in trying to find a doctor like Gary, if you're not in California, even though people fly out to see you, Middle Path Medicine is your website. And anyone can just go look at the bio about you and look at your credentials. And if you're in another state, you can try to mimic or match that in in other doctors that you research if you're looking for someone. Um, What's a good website for a functional? A4M is a good website, which is worldhealth.net. And you can, there's a physician locator that you can find. If you look at my credentials, through them. It's a functional anti-aging regenerative medicine fellowship. I've been doing a lot of those things before I got their certification, but it's also to get out there so people know that you do these things. The doctors who are interested will do things through that group. There's other groups who certify functional medicine doctors, by the way, but I think that's the best one to look for. One other website I want you to recommend to people is the Environmental Working Group. They're a good group that does EWG.org because they really let you know about what's out there in the environment. They're a great group to uh, support and sponsor as well too um, and so that people and that Think Dirty app which again Think Dirty Shop Clean is the, the app um, so you can look into your environment and how to make it as healthy as possible for your home and and so those are good things to look at but from a doctor standpoint it's the worldhealth.net look at the physician locator punch in your zip code and they can hopefully find somebody like you like me excuse me who does this kind of integrative testing so 
again, and I, gosh, I'm sorry for being so wordy, L. There's such a push in medicine these days to do less testing. Um, it's it's pushed by the pharmaceutical industry because, in general, the, if you do more testing, you'll find things that help prevent disease, which means you'll take less drugs. Okay, so there's a big push by the Mayo clinics of the world and other places that you think are good Western medical things. Which remember, today's medical testing is focused on the finding things that drugs can treat. Okay, and not on function finding things that nutrition can treat. So there's actually a push to get your doctors to not order the tests like homocysteine, like vitamin D, like CRP, because there's essentially no drugs to treat those things. So you'll have to step outside the box and pastor HMO doctors, etc. If you really want to be healthy, and folks, this is the key: you're going to have to take your health under your own. Um, again, you know I use the term locus control, but uh, but it's something for you to do. And yes, doctors like this. And get some testing to help you too, because it's a, and and look into the world of detoxification and all these other things. But these are things that help promote your health, and when I say health, your vibrant well-beingness, way beyond just preventing disease. Right, I love that, and we will follow up with a second conversation on this topic. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. We love having you. I wish I I want to talk to you every day <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Have a good day. I appreciate it. Hi folks, Mark Sisson here, and I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching but have been held back by worries such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching, and we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. We also have payment plans available, so you can start immediately for just a dollar down. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.